If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah, we definitely have to check our preconceived notions, the stereotypes, the biases, you know, uh, at the door when we walk in and really make a concerted effort to be present with the patient and their family. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Tina, welcome to the Wellness Platform. How are you? Thank you, Wendy. I am fabulous and so good to be here. I'm such an admirer, so it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm excited that you're here. This is your second time on the platform um, in a whole totally different role, got so many different things going on. So I'm so excited to share you with our audience. So why don't we start off by you telling our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am Afro-Latina, um, Boricua from the Bronx. Boogie down. Um, but living in Connecticut now, um, it was supposed to be just for a one year stint, you know, but 23 years later, three kids, two dogs, we're still here. Uh, but I have evolved. I was an educator for a number of years. I taught middle school math and then I went back to school and became a nurse. And so I've been a nurse now for over 17 years. Um, and I really love that journey. Uh, clinical expertise in OR, um, quality, regulatory, safety health equity, innovation, um, primary care. And so that's, that's me. I never knew you were a math teacher. <laughs> <That's new. laughs> so nursing is your second career. Correct. Oh, wow. You do it so well. Seems Thank like you, you were like, that was like your, your primary uh, career path. I love it. So, so you, yo, sorry, but I, um, I um, specialize in early childhood development. And really focus on three to five-year-olds. So I was like, that's perfect. It totally helps me, you know, when I worked in the hospital with, you know, some professionals who act like three to five-year-olds. <laughs> I love that. And I want to talk more about that because you are a leader in the field. You are a nurse leader, well-known um, in the field of nursing for health equity uh, everything diversity, equity, and inclusion, health equity, especially. Thank so you. when did you transition from the clinical setting into leadership roles? So that was actually early on in my career, my nursing career, um, twofold. I think my passion and creativity and interest were just pulling me in that direction as well. But also for work-life harmony, I had to push myself in that direction as well. You know, I couldn't continue to be on call on 
nights and weekends and holidays and well as, you know, covering call outs with two little ones. So that was how I really transitioned over to that, that's that world. Yeah. And, and tell us what you're doing now at Yale. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. It's like the Mecca Holy Grail. I'm like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I am the very proud um, Associate Director of Health Equity Measure Development at the Yale um, Yale School of Medicine Center of Outcomes Research and Evaluation, also known as CORE. Um, and so we are one of the leaders in health equity, health quality, excuse me, health quality measurement development and implementation and maintenance. And I'm really excited because our portfolio now includes health equity, which I get to partner with creative, ingenious, really committed, passionate professionals that are uh, research scientists, statisticians, um, project managers, um, clinicians, uh, public health experts, epidemiologists. It's like, again, like the best place to be because I'm with so many um, huge thinkers and shakers doing this exciting work. And it totally aligns with your passion because I remember before you got that position, you were saying you want something in health equity. And I was like, wow, like this job is exactly what you wanted. It like fell in your lap. So that's amazing. So yeah. what projects are you working on um, at Yale? So a lot of it is um, under contract and still under kind of um, uh, not the full discretion for public awareness, uh, but we have something exciting now in the early development stages, uh, which is out in public comments uh, regarding um, developing the social needs screening measure. So the hospitals and outpatient areas would be um looking at how they screen, identify and screen patients who have social needs and how they provide follow-up. Yeah, and that's so important. And I, I love that um, that's an initiative that's going to be rolled down. But how are we going to like implement that? Like, I know we have all these great tools, all these great ideas. How do we operationalize that at a clinical level? Yeah, yeah there are definitely lots of innovation and a lot of organizations that are really doing this well. Um, so there's definitely those um, case studies out there, um, as well as a lot of the literature, um, which I happen to know because that was my focus of my DMP project. Uh, so there's definitely lots happening out there. Um, I think for me, um, as you know, somebody who has family still with social needs, um, my biggest recommendation, my strongest recommendation is to, to really instill in your organization and in your staff the reason why we're doing this, right? Like it should not be just another checkbox, another thing to report, another, you know, burden. It's really um, core to the health and well-being of not only that individual, but then that family, um, you know, that community. And so really helping your staff understand the importance of the screening um, and then also, you know, having to be creative, innovative and finding the appropriate um, resources because that I understand too, you know, working in FQHC, the resources are definitely always um, a barrier. But um, definitely for me, the biggest takeaway is stressing the why and how it's really going to impact 
uh, people positively to have better outcomes overall in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I do the work I do in terms of stress management and the workplace, because as we know, our workforce, we're very stressed out, right? So one, it's hard to just do the day to day, but to think outside the box like Mm -hmm. that, to say, I honor the why, Um, you know, people need to take a step back and realize why are you here, right? Why Mm -hmm. are you in the healthcare profession? You know, it's really going back to taking care of society, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you, you brought up a good point. It's not just the person, but it's that family unit, which impacts that individual. Mm-hmm. So I think um, leaders are in a position to help their staff take a step back and uh, reconnect, I always say, with purpose. Yes, I love that. Passion. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing what you're doing? Um, cause these are humans we're seeing on a daily basis in the clinics and hospitals. So, 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 so important. And, and you mentioned your DNP. So Tina and I are, um, we were in the DNP program at Quinnipiac university together. Um, talk about that project. Uh, what was your topic? Uh, why did you pick it? And it really aligns with what you're doing now. So it did. Yes, it was a journey and, you know, definitely something that I am very grateful I did. Um, and highly recommend anybody who's toying or thinking about going back to school for whatever, a, cert- a certification, a degree, you know, a terminal degree, um, do it. Take a class, start with a class, keep on going, you will get there. Time, time does, time's not going to stay still, so might as well jump in and, and by the time you know it, you'll be done. Um, but my project was um, um researching and implementing um, a social need um, screening and referral process in an FQHC. So again, it was uh, from my uh, evolution in health equity and realizing just how much of um, healthcare is impacted by factors that have nothing to do with healthcare, you know, where you live, mm-hmm. um, where you can play, the food around you or the food that's not around you, the air quality transportation. Um, those are a lot of the domains that impact, you know, our overall health outcomes. And it's really important from a business model, I think, right? Like 20% of our health outcomes are just for acute care, but that's how many trillions of dollars that we're just pouring in and we're only getting a 20% return on investment. So what's that other 80% that's impacting our outcomes and why aren't we talking about that? And so I'm really grateful that you know, the um, healthcare system is at a place now where they're um, being aware of it and making things, um, putting things in place to really assist with um, organizations identifying these for patients. And so for me, it was just a great experience to, um, one, do that research um, and really become an expert in a lot of the best practices out there. Um, from not only screening tools, but also, you know, training, staff training, staff engagement, um, and also like normalizing that conversation with patients. Um, I think similar to like mental health, um, we have to just normalize the conversation around social need because uh, so many people are in need. Um, and so that for me was the biggest takeaway from the project and getting my degree. Yeah, I love that. And you are the SMA, you are the subject matter expert. So if you don't know what to do or how to do it, call Tina, she can help you with that. (laughs) And I know we keep saying health equity, but what is health equity? 
So it's really, I mean, there's numerous definitions out there, right? But it's really an essence of ensuring that a person has everything that they need in order to have their best, the best health outcomes. Um, and so for me, I, it's always that picture of um, the various people on different bicycles that fit their um, body versus the same bicycle for every person. Um, you know, it's evolved from that historical picture of the spectators of the baseball game, um, but that's another kind of example of it. So in essence, it's ensuring people have what they need in order to reach their best, best health outcome. Yeah, I love that. And one thought I'm having is, you know, a lot of healthcare professionals work in inner cities, uh, but they come from the suburbs, right, to work in the city to take care of those community members. However, they're not very versed mm-hmm. in what's happening at the community level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this patient's not compliant. Right. This patient always misses their, you know. So right. what are your thoughts around organizations having kind of like a mandate or a requirement that before mm-hmm. you work here, mm-hmm. you have to have some sort of I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say community service, but mm-hmm. you have to get ingrained in the community to know who mm-hmm. you're going to be taking care of. Right. right. Now that, yeah, it's definitely true. And, and again, it's not just the inner cities that have the social needs, like our rural, rural mm-hmm. um, towns and agencies, um, you know, have a lot of social needs. And there's various deserts out there um, and other areas as well. Um, so I think um, you know, it's really important for people to educate themselves as well as to um, do the research in terms of the um, communities that they're going to be working in. Be curious and not judgmental. You know, stop and pause and ask why. Is there something else going on? Um, is there something else that um, is a barrier to this patient being able to make their appointments or to? Um, you know, take their medication as, as prescribed. Um, I really feel that trust is the underlying, um, you know, factor to having patients truly open up regarding their true social needs, you know, a combination of the trauma of having to um, restate that their, their current situations is a reality. So there has to be trauma-informed communication as well that um, providers should also have, but um, definitely having that trust because once a patient is vulnerable enough to share that, yes, I have a need, right? Like there there needs to be something in place that's going to be able to help them to um, at least get more information about solving it. Because obviously, you know, health organizations and hospitals and clinics don't have that magic wand that they can't fix everything for every patient, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's really about empowering the patient and educating them, educating them more and really using the network of community-based organizations and other resources to mitigate kind of the priority for them. And again, always putting the patient as the, you know, the captain of the ship for devising that treatment plan and what what next steps they, they feel are manageable to do. Yeah, absolutely. As a provider myself, I always say, it's easy to take care of a patient. All you gotta do is listen to them. <laughs> All you got to really do is listen to them. You don't have to make decisions for them. 
Um, it truly is a partnership, but it, it's really kind of loving what you do. So what I'm hearing you saying, it's more of a personal ownership of you have to want to. And, and what keeps coming back to me is emotional intelligence, knowing yourself. What are those biases, right? So let's talk a little bit about that, how those play a role in mm -hmm. providers, healthcare professionals, nurses, yeah. all of all of us. All um, of us. Yeah. yeah not being able to adequately assess a patient's social needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely have to check our preconceived notions, the stereotypes, the biases, you know, uh, at the door when we walk in and really make a concerted effort to be present with the patient and their family at that time of the visit and to really um, listen. You know, you said it really well, like you have to hear them. Um, and understand what they're saying or, or what their body language is implying. Um, and, and again, be curious um, and, and be vulnerable too, I think. I think definitely sharing a little bit about ourselves or really having that moment of connection where if there's a similarity or something that resonates between you and the patient or you and the person you're talking to, you know, share that with them. And, and I often always... Um, have told my staff, you know, when you have a meaningful interaction with the patient, let them know and thank them, right? The same thing we should do with our colleagues and peers. Thank you for the day. Thanks for your help with this. I appreciated you. You really helped me out. Patients bring us joy as well and they help us, you know, rejuvenate our sparks. And so when those moments come as well, we have to capture them and really let the patient know, you know, you helped me today as well. I appreciate you talking with me, your honesty. I really help. I really appreciate you helping me listen and, and hear more. So I think that's also a, a piece of it. Yeah, and I think also seeing patients as people, like everyone, mm -hmm. including, you know, all of us who's listening to this, want to be seen, heard, and understood. Okay. Same for a patient, mm -hmm. but on another level, because they're in your presence, because they're in need of something, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're in need of something. So they definitely want to be, seen, heard, and understood. So if we can go into a room or, you know, a clinic, hospital, whatever, wherever you see patients or people, just people, right? right? So, so it's not just patients, but people, right. your, your colleagues want to be uh, seen, heard, and understood, but just go in with that mindset of this is why I'm here because we're all relating and we're all creating relationships and connections and uh, patients don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not right. like they, they want to be in your presence in a healthcare institution. Yes. So, um, yeah, so we, we just have a lot of work to do. And it's not just one thing that's going to fix uh, this problem. Correct. So I also want to talk to you about your new book project. Tell us more about that. I am so excited, Wendy. This is my true labor of love. This is my newest baby. Um, you know, I have three um, human children and two fur babies, and now this book is another baby of mine. Um, I am a bookworm, you know, an avid reader. Since I was little, I would just devour books. You know, when the um, circular went home, the flyer went home for the book orders, thankfully my parents indulged, you know, my interest, and I would get like five or six books at a time each month. And as soon as those books came in, I was like, I read them all the first day. Like that's how much of an avid reader I am. Um, and, and books are also a source of comfort for me. So when I am struggling with something or when I um, am just not finding that I'm balanced or harmonized, you know, I turn to different books. 
to draw from the experiences and lessons learned from others. Um, and also, you know, some of the, you know, sci-fi stuff and the history stuff, all that stuff. But um, it was really interesting because during the height of pandemic uh, in 2020, as well as kind of around the time of George Floyd's murder um, and a lot of the other uh, murders of humans that look like me and my loved ones, um, I was taxed. I, I was struggling. And, you know, yes, I was going to see my therapist too, but still that wasn't, you know, um, filling my cup as much as I needed to be refilled. And so um, I did a, I, I set up one night and most of my stuff happens later night anyway, as Wendy knows, when we text each other, <laughs> it was still work. But it was one of those late night searches. And I was like, let me see, you know, how many books are out there by Latina nurses. Um, and I did a lot of digging and I didn't find any, not even just one. You know, I found a handful written by um, Black nurses or on Black nurses. So that really, you know, gave me some um, joy. But again, there's, there's, a, there's a need for more there as well. Um, but the fact that there was not one book that I, I found, um, and still haven't found to date, um, by a Latina regarding her, a Latina nurse about her journey and her story really struck me. Um, and, you know, Latinos are one of the fastest growing groups, ethnic groups in the United States, um, yet our numbers in nursing are not growing as fast. Our numbers in leadership and academia are not growing at all. Um, so it really inspired me to, you know, um, to curate this, this book. And the, the book has been a journey in of itself um, because I think I really came to fruition that I was going to write this book back in 2021. And so, um, you know, it's a journey to find the right publisher, to find the right um, medium, the right um, balance of the book. Um, but I'm really, really proud to share that I have 15 um, Latina nurses who trusted me um, to share their stories. Um, and now we're, we're trusting everybody else with kind of our, our book. It is called Latinas in Nursing. Um, I'm hoping that it will be available for purchase by the end of this week. Uh, but we're going to have an official book launch um, on Hispanic Nurses Day which is September 22nd. So more details to follow on that. But again, this has just been um, my sense of joy, my rejuvenation. You know, whenever work got challenging, whenever school got challenging, um, if something else was frustrating, I just had to think about this book and it gave me the energy to keep going forward. And so I'm really excited. That is amazing. And what I think of is legacy. That's really what you're leaving legacy. And I think this book is just so important to the profession and all healthcare leaders need to read it, <laughs> right? To really understand that journey. And, and you said something very important that the numbers are low or they're not even moving. Mm -hmm. How do we move the needle on that, right? right? Yeah. Maybe the answer's in that book from one of those stories. Yeah, right? most definitely. My, my contributing authors have really been um, so vulnerable and sharing so many of their barriers and so many of their obstacles, but also showing their strength and their resiliency 
in, you know, overcoming those. Um, many of them have their own businesses. Many of them are professors. Um, you know, some of them are just starting their nursing journey. So it's beautiful to see that as well. But that's the intent of this book. Um, and I'm hoping for additional versions afterwards as well, additions after. Um, but really to help um, those out there now who um, need that source of strength to get through, you know, whatever obstacle they're facing now to get through it, um, to be that extra motivation um, for those that are in school or thinking about going to school to become a nurse. Um, to do it because you can do it. And I definitely, in, in addition to um, healthcare leaders, you know, I think schools of nursing mm-hmm. need to get this book and make sure, you know, all of their um, staff and professors that are supporting um, students of color um, through their journeys, um, read it, understand it. Um, I would say high school teachers, guidance counselors, get this for your, for those students who are interested in health careers um, you know, definitely if you are a nurse, you should get this. Um, or if you are support nursing, you should also get it. I love it. And I, I see this becoming a workshop. You know, you know, my mind is like all over the place, right? I see a workshop. I see a book club. I see a course. I see, I see so many things right now with, with this book because it's the first, um, it's legacy. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. This is, you're really leaving your footprint on the profession. This is amazing. I'm, I'm trying and I'm just really, again, blessed to have a support system to allow me to do this, as well as the trust, again, of these authors um, and, and sharing their story. And Wendy, I got all that stuff on the list. That, you know, we have scholarship opportunities is what else I want to work on. We definitely have some merchandise coming. But definitely see, you know, workbooks and workshops, mm-hmm. book clubs, you know, book tours, all that good stuff. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this is amazing. It must have really um, been on your heart because, I mean, you're writing for your your doctorate as well. <laughs> Let's not forget <laughs> that, right? <laughs> and that's one reason we're connected because we we the mind is like, yeah. Anyway, that's another. Yeah. But I would love to have you and your authors back on to really amplify their story, to amplify the book. Um, I think by any medium possible, um, I think people really need to to hear it and uh, let's amplify. So where can people go to get the book when it's available? It'll be on Amazon. Yeah. So, yeah, but it'll be definitely available at Amazon. I am definitely looking to ensure that it's out, you know, at other um Latino bookstores too. So I have them on my list of, Hey, guess what? This is out now. Don't you want to put it on your shelves? Yes. Um, so yeah, definitely. My Amazon will be the easiest way to get it. Um, and then Latinas in nursing, the website, Latinas in nursing.com uh, should also be live the end of this week so that people can go there as well. Learn a little bit more about the authors, um, you know, look for upcoming events, nominate other Latinas and nurses. They would think would be a good, um, would would be um, great for me to connect with to see if I would feature them as well on the next version, the next edition, because I'm already planning um, version two coming out, hopefully <laughs> May of next year. I love it. I love it. And all the stories that are in the book, was there any common theme? So it was, there was two that were really powerful to me and I'm like trying to figure out how I'm going to incorporate it into the next um, version of it, the Latinas in Nursing volume two. 
Um, but one was really mental health mm-hmm. and how so many of the authors were vulnerable enough to share, you know, some of their struggles with mental health um, during their journey and, and um, their their life experiences. Um, and and I was so grateful that that came out because again, that's another one of those topics that's stigmatized and tabooed, and we don't talk about it. Like, listen, I see my therapist, right? Like, thankfully now I don't have to see her as regularly, but. When I needed to, I was seeing her every two weeks and it's okay, right? Like it's okay to go out there and get help. Um, the other big thing that came out was um, imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. And I was in, I was really interested by that. Um, I personally don't subscribe to imposter syndrome. Like for me, I just feel that it's just another form of bias and racism racism in which the systems aren't adequately um, supporting us and sponsoring us and mentoring us so that we have the tools and the um, skills to um, continue to grow um, in new spaces. Uh, But it was very interesting that some of the authors did really um, identify it and and named it, you know, imposter syndrome. So that was something else that was really powerful. Yeah, those are two powerful findings. Very interesting. We have work to do. <laughs> we, do. we do. And again, this book is, you know, one of those tools I'm hoping people will pick up when when they need it. Yeah, I love it. And Tina, how can people get in contact with you? So I am on LinkedIn, Tina Loarte Rodriguez, um, as well as on latinasinnursing.com. There will be a link there as well to send me an email. Awesome. Now, Tina, before we get out of here, I want to take you through a rapid fire. Is that okay? I love it. Lightning round. <laughs> get ready. Awesome. All right. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind to finish the statement or answer the question. Okay. Wellness means? Self-care. I know I'm stressed one. I have no patience for the things I love. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good, you have to have some self-awareness for that one. I love that one. And your go-to stress management solution is? Depends. Um, books are one for me. Sometimes it's a good laugh. Um, but I think also um, massages. Massages have been mm. a, nice, a nice source for me. And meditation too. Meditation is a good one. I love that. And what is one thing a healthcare professional can do tomorrow when they return to work to really help increase their health equity awareness? Um, I think, again, just pausing and recognizing that any person you're interacting with is a person um, and see them for what they are, Uh, meet them where they're at and truly listen to what they're saying to help them get to where they want to be. And what is something people get wrong about you? Oh, that one always gets me. (laughs) I I, I think I still have to go back to the same answer of, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care what they get wrong about me. I love that. I love that. What would you tell your younger self? You got this girl. You are doing amazing things. Keep doing it. I'm so I'm so proud of you. Oh, that is so sweet. And my last question is, what is something you learned about yourself during the pandemic? Ooh. I can do hard things. 
you know, I have faced many, many challenges um, throughout my life, unfortunately, but definitely I think it really, um, you know, fortified my um, conviction that I can do hard things. Absolutely. Well, Tina, this was amazing. Uh, Follow Tina on LinkedIn. Go get the book uh, when it comes out and we will have her back and hopefully some of her uh, co-authors. Oh, I love that, Wendy. Thank you so much. And thank you for all that you're doing. You're, You're rocking it out too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you. Go to stressblueprint.com and download your free copy of the three questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.